Blog Talk Radio. This is the Change Book Radio Show, global insight and inspiration for life and business. We're brought to you by the fastest growing personal development book series in the world titled The Change. And I'm your host and voice, Stacey Carnaluti, transformational leader and coach, international best-selling author, and founder of High Powered Success Academy and StaceyC.com, The Power to Be. Welcome to The Change. Hey friends, we have got Derek Volk on the line today to remind you that you've got what it takes and you can do this. You're going to get so much value out of this interview, so we're really excited to have him. He's the president and third generation owner of Volk Packaging Corporation, radio host of the Derek Volk Show, and author of the amazing, no, sorry about that, I'm sure it's amazing, but the Amazon bestseller, Chasing the Rabbit, A Dad's Life Raising a Son on the Spectrum. Derek and his son Dylan travel the country speaking to people about life with Asperger's Syndrome. So welcome to the Change Book Radio Show, Derek Volk. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, we're excited. So tell us what the title means, Chasing the Rabbit or Chase the Rabbit. What does that mean? Well, Chasing the Rabbit came from an analogy that I've used since uh, my son was young. Uh, Probably I came up with it maybe in middle school or so. And I described Dylan as like a greyhound and the rabbit that the greyhound chases is normal. So uh, if you picture a greyhound chasing they you know they go into the shoot and then they the gun goes off and they shoot opens and the dog chases this mechanical rabbit which of course they never catch and that's what dylan's life is like he runs and runs and runs but no matter how much he exhausts himself he can never catch the rabbit Mm, and he does exhaust himself trying oh i would imagine Incredible. One in 59 children are born with autism. This is the statistics that I was reading, and three out of four of these are boys. So is it becoming more and more common? Yeah, in actuality, the CDC came out with a report just last week that upped it to one in 40. Oh, wow. So it's, it's, yeah, and, and it is mostly... It's mostly boys. Uh, They don't really even know why. You know, I think there's probably some overdiagnosis being done, um, but there's definitely um, also a lot of people that for a lot of years had autism and didn't even know it. I have an employee, actually, who didn't find out that he had autism until he was 40, when his wife, who worked at a school, came had to do a, a test for a kid in her class and filled out the survey and thought, hmm, this sounds a lot like my husband. And yeah. she came home from work and and said, uh, "Why don't you fill this out? Let me know what you what you think." And he filled it out, and he checked off like uh, twenty out of twenty three of the things he said that they were matches for him. And she said, "Yeah, I hate to tell you this, but you have autism." Wow! But it wasn't a disappointment for him because he was actually relieved yeah. because it finally explained, you know, a lot of things in his life that he really didn't understand what was going on. Yeah, that makes sense. So the spectrum, tell, talk to us about that. What does that mean? Well, they call it an autism spectrum, and, and they call it autism. Now they, it's all under the umbrella of autism spectrum disorder. Uh, okay. They actually, Asperger's syndrome, which Dylan was officially diagnosed with when he was eight, is 
uh, now actually no longer even in the DSM. It's not an official diagnosis anymore. That's mostly because of your state, California. California had a, in the laws of California, they said that uh, schools had to give students help or they had to give them accommodations if they had autism, but there was nothing in there about Asperger's syndrome. So all the schools in California, when somebody came in with an autism diagnosis, put their hands up and said, hey, not our problem. And so because California, of course, is a huge and very powerful state, they changed the DSM so there is now no longer an Asperger's syndrome, but instead they call it high-functioning autism. And all of those, who knows how many parents, could go to their school and say, my kid doesn't have Asperger's, he has high-functioning autism, so guess what? You need to give him some services. And that was the reason they got rid of... uh, autism, of Asperger's as a, as a diagnosis. But the reason they call it a spectrum is because there's a huge range of people that fall within this diagnosis that, that's autism, and it ranges everything from the nonverbal who doesn't speak and you know sits in the corner and rocks all the time and can't even communicate, all the way up to people like Bill Gates and and Steven Spielberg who have mm. been you know supposedly uh known as being you know on the spectrum somewhere mm-hmm. so um you know they say that Bill Gates rocks, sits at meetings and rocks the whole time and so yeah. that which is a very which is a very common thing for people with yeah. autism it's called stimming wow. Amazing. So you live with all kinds of things. So you found out when he was, Dylan was two years, this was your firstborn, um, and he was about two years old when you started thinking, or your wife thought that maybe something was different about him. Is that when he was diagnosed? Well, he wasn't diagnosed for six years after that. But yeah, when, oh, I, when, Dylan, okay. was, when Dylan was two, I uh, came home from work one day and my wife sat me down and she said, something's not quite right with Dylan. Okay. And I said, "What do you What do you mean?" She said, "I don't know, but something's not right." And so I said, "Well, what would make you say that?" And she said, "Well, when this when the other boys are over the house, when I have you know the other moms over with their boys, they interact and they communicate, and he doesn't." She said, "It's like he doesn't even notice or even care that they're in the room, and it just seems weird to me." And I. You know, first I was like, oh, he's fine, he's fine, Don't you're just overreacting, don't worry about it. And then, she, you know, she was pretty convinced, and and I, so then I said, well, that's probably just because he's way smarter than those kids. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I laugh about it now, but I look back at, you know, and it made sense at the time. Dylan was a very unusual little boy. He had very unusual interests. At two, he was obsessed with vacuum cleaners. Um, he, he went from almost no language. He had like 10 words to speaking overnight when he was about 28 months to speaking in full grammatically correct sentences. Wow. Like he literally had like nine or 10 words, mama, dada, doggy. And all of a sudden one night I was putting him to bed and he reached up on the shelf and he grabbed a book and he said, how about this book? Oh. And it was like one of those scenes from a movie where the donkey starts talking. 
And I was like, what? What what did you just say? And he said, how about we read this book tonight? And he literally the next day was speaking in full, very clearly spoken, grammatically correct sentences. I mean, he never even said, like, I never came home from work and said, how was your day? And he said, me and mummy went to the beach. He would say, mummy and I went to the beach today. Well, I mean, and, you know, a lot of two-year-olds, they talk, and only the parents and maybe the siblings have any idea what the heck the kid is saying. Dylan talked like he was 14, like overnight. It was very strange. Wow, wow. So, you know, years of just different behavior, you know, behaviors, you're, you're not understanding how, how am I going to connect with this child? How am I going to give this child what he needs? I mean, as a first time parent, you know, that's hard enough, but then you've got this, all these differences, you know, so, so you talk about mourning the death of the expectation, you know, your first child, you kind of have these dreams or these, um, you know, expectations of what life is going to be like with your first child. And all of a sudden, it's nothing like you ever imagined. So talk to us about that. Um, Kind of the key to really getting present to the child who has been sent to you, right? I mean, all of our children are kind of a gift from God. And and if we're expecting something different and living in the expectation, then there's a continual disappointment or frustration um, in not having what we thought you know, was on the way. So how did you deal with all of that? Talk to us about that morning kind of. Yeah, it took a long time to get through that. Um, it was not a, an overnight thing. It was a, it was a morning, pro- I, I describe it as a, in the book as a morning process because I, I, I kind of went through that whole same thing. And, and sometimes that sounds overdramatic, but it's really not because it, it was a loss of something pretty significant. He was my only son and he was yeah. never going to be what I'd always dreamed my son was going to be like. My family was not going to be what my family image was going to be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, you know, Dylan was very, very difficult. We, we couldn't go, you know, we had, we family trips were a challenge we couldn't have friends over with their families for even for dinner because we never knew when Dylan would have a meltdown and, you know, embarrass us and, and just create complete chaos, um, say something completely inappropriate as he got older because he had no filter at all. Um, mm-hmm. So it was very isolating. And I honestly didn't realize how angry I was at Dylan just for being Dylan until mm. I wrote the book. And as I wrote mm. the book, I, I, as I was writing the book and realizing, wow, I'm, as I look back, I was mad at him here. I was mad at him here. <laughs> I, wow. And I felt a lot of those same feelings as I was writing the book. Like, yeah. you know, as I'm writing it, I'm thinking, man, I was pissed off at him. And so I forgave him for something that he really didn't even owe me an apology for which yeah. was just the way that his brain works differently. And I had to mourn the son that I thought I was going to have so I could love the one that God gave me. Yeah. And that took a lot of time. And I always loved Dylan, but, I mean, he's my son. I'd jump in front of a train for him in a second. Right, but right. liking Dylan, that took some time. Yeah. You know, it, it took a long time for me. I mean, I I was telling somebody just last week that, it feels really nice now when I go and we go speak somewhere and when we're done, we 
go to the airport the next, you know, the next morning, and we get on a plane, and he heads back to Los Angeles, and I head back to Maine, and I'm, this is going to sound strange, but I'm joyfully sad. Mm. So I'm actually, I'm sad that I'm not, that he's leaving, but I'm happy that I'm sad, because there was a long time in mm. my life where I was happy when he left the room, much left the state. Um, mm. So... To think that, you know, now I'm at the point where I enjoy spending time with him and I like him as a person and I like being with him is is a is a really nice thing, but it took a it took a long time. Yeah. It took a long time. Yeah. This is so important to get honest about all of this. I'm sure that it's so liberating and freeing, you know, for other parents to have you open up like this. And just get honest, right? Yeah, it it is. It it the one of the most common things I hear when we speak and from people reading. If you read, go to my Amazon, go to Amazon and check out my book, uh, Chasing the Rabbit, on Amazon. I have 195 reviews. 185 of them are five star, and 10 are four star. Mm. And the the theme that's repeated so often. There's two themes. One is that how brutally honest the book is and how mm. raw it is. It's like people say it's like sitting in my living room experiencing all this with, you know, with my family. Yeah. And the reason that happened is because I didn't think anybody was ever going to read this book. So <laughs> I just pretty much laid it out there because I thought nobody's reading this thing. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to write this thing. And when I'm done, nobody's going to actually read it because when I tell Dylan about it, He's going to say, you're not telling everybody all that stuff about me. And I thought it would sit on a thumb drive in my top drawer, and maybe I'd show my grandkids someday. Um, but I, that's not what happened. Dylan's been very supportive and has been unbelievable speaking about it. He, he holds nothing back, and I think people appreciate that. I, it's I think it lends a lot. I think it's part of the reason the book has been so successful is because it's genuine. There's no, believe me, I, you know, I, there's a lot of parts of this book that are embarrassing and don't make me out in the greatest of light. And mm-hmm. Dylan's book, which just came out last month, Bad Choices Make Good Stories. Love that. I hope. Yeah, uh, when I hand that to people, I jokingly say, feel free to throw away my Parent of the Year application as you're reading this. <laughs> um, because it, uh, you know, it, it, but that's life. That's life yes. isn't perfect, and life isn't all sunshine and rainbows. And uh, that's, that's what makes people enjoy reading our story, because it's genuine. And it, the other big thing that people get out of it is they feel like they're not alone. They, we hear that when people read the book. We hear it all the time. I mean, when we speak, it, people come up to us all the time and say, I, you know, I thought I was the only one feeling this. I thought I was the only one going through this. Uh, people, It's very isolating to have a child with a disability and to know that how you feel isn't wrong. It just is. Yes. Um, is a huge relief for people. Uh, you know, there's a there's a part in the book where I so we used to go to these parent support groups, and we'd go to these things, and people would you know be say, 
you know, Timmy's always causing chaos in our house and he's, you know, kicking holes in the wall and we never have time for our other kids and my husband and I fight all the time. So he's sleeping on the couch and we're probably going to end up getting divorced. And then they pause and they go, but I wouldn't change Timmy for anything. (laughs) And I look at him and I'm thinking, really? You wouldn't change Timmy at all. You like Timmy. This is working for you. Uh, and and I, I remember getting in the car one time after one of those, and I turned to my wife, and I said, <laughs> and she goes, what do you mean? I said, if I had a magic wand and could change Dylan, I would do it in a second. And these people sit there and say that they they wouldn't change their kid. I mean, I would change him for his own sake. I mean, who would want their kid to suffer like this? I mean, life is really hard for Dylan. Every every single day. I was just with him out in Los Angeles a month and a half ago, and we were, I don't remember what he were even working on. I think we were doing a, a video for his YouTube channel, and one thing was going after another that he was getting upset about. And I texted Amy, and I said, I said, this poor kid, everything is so frustrating for him. And she texted me back and she said, what now? And I said, everything, literally everything. Mm. It's, it's a, so I said to Dylan one time, we were talking about it. And I, and I said, let me ask you a question. You know, this whole thing I write in the book about Timmy and the, and the magic wand. What would you, what would you do if I had a magic wand in my pocket and I never pulled it out. And he said, mm. I would never forgive you. Uh. He, he said, if you could have made my life easier and you didn't do it because it was, quote, unquote, special to have me, I would mm. never forgive you. Oh, and, wow. and I said, I, that's, thank you for saying that because you kind of let yeah. me off the hook. Yeah. And I think, I think what happens is that by saying I would never change Timmy for anything, and there is no Timmy, just for the record, if anybody's listening, right. I just made that name up. But <laughs> I think by saying that, it relieves in their head. You know, and I remember <clears throat> talking on that ride home with Amy, and I said, look, you know, if they want to try to sell that to their friends with normal kids, that's fine. But don't come to a conference, don't come to a parenting group and try to convince me that they wouldn't change their kid. I'm not buying that, you know. And I think what it, what they what they're doing is they're they they feel so guilty that they hate the way that their kid is that it's by saying I wouldn't change them it it relieves the guilt. And I get that. So if you're listening and you've said that, I'm not being accusatory here. What I'm saying is don't feel guilty. You don't have to feel yeah. guilty. If your kid is born with, you know, autism or blind, if your kid is born blind, I'm sure you love your kid, but that doesn't mean if you could give him sight, you wouldn't give him eyesight. Right. I mean, like, I don't get, I get the thought process of it because people want they want they they want to be relieved of the guilt of feeling like they like they're unhappy with their kid and it, and it feels bad to say that I would change my Hello? Hello? Yes, 
Are you taking calls? You know what? I just hung up on the speaker. Oh, my word. Okay. Um, you know what? I, I have never – I wasn't open to taking calls, but I, I think I would be. Hold on one second. You know, I just get... tuned in, and I have a son that was born with autism, and he is such a success story. I'm oh. so proud, and I just wanted to share it. Oh, perfect. Okay, go ahead and share that but, story, and I'm going to get. Okay, and I don't, is this person an author who is speaking? Yes, he wrote Chasing the Rabbit, and so he okay, wrote a book about I it. Just, so. Awesome. I just tuned in, never called into the show, but I'll throw in my two cents. <laughs> yeah, go Hello? ahead and share that. <laughs> Derek, <laughs> we've got somebody else on the line, and I was pulling Am I back on? Yeah, you are live, and we've oh. got somebody else that's going to share her quick story. All right, I lost I... you for a second there. Oh, my God, that was so funny. Okay, stay there, Derek. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead, caller. Hi, um, Derek. I just tuned into this program, and I saw that um, you have a son with Asperger's? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, I called, and... I said, you know, I have a success story. Um, I have a son who is now 30, and when he was born, um, you know, the first problem he had was he had a problem with blood pressure. He had hydronephrosis, so that was an issue. But then when it came time to speak, and I have an oldest son to compare him to, um, I said to my husband, you know what, I think Gregory's autistic. And my husband was not about to accept that. (laughs) Tell him he's not alone. Yeah. And so I said, you know what, Um, I have him in a play group. He's the only child who does not interact. He'll seek out a chair in the room and just rock and bang his head. Mm -hmm. And And I believe these play groups, like teary-eyed, you know. So anyway, I got him into Boston, and I had him evaluated, and they said he has PDD, I guess, yeah. which is a form of autism. Pervasive so development disorder, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He could not speak. He'd sit in a chair and bang his head. If he wanted goldfish crackers from the cabinet, he'd point and go, ugh. You know, mm-hmm. and it was like, and my husband was like an ostrich. He'd put his head in the sand. So I right away got him into early intervention, and that really helped. We actually, um, well, I had him in an integrated classroom when it was like preschool, kindergarten, and it was integrated. And every time I picked this kid up, he'd be screeching. And I said, what the heck is going on here? So I did a surprise visit like they tell you you should do. There's <laughs> something wrong. They had him belted in a chair with oh, a belt wear around your waist. Yeah. Beca- and I went in there, and I raised holy hell. And I didn't care if there were kids in there or not because it was integrated. I mean, you know, so anyway um, – that's why he was crying. So I uh, got after the teacher. I called the principal. I called 
um, the uh, superintendent of schools. What my husband and I did, we built the house we had when we got engaged. We, I said, we're getting the hell out of here. We're going to find a place for the better school system. We put our house on the market. We moved to, I'm in Massachusetts, north end of a mass. And, oh, yeah, I know well. Yeah, um, and the school system really worked with him. And then I had people come in and even show me different techniques. I will tell you, it wasn't until high school this kid really thrived with his grades, always on the honor roll. Just this past May, he graduated magna cum laude from pharmacy school. Wow, pharmacy school, that's awesome. That's and my very dad difficult. was a pharmacist. He graduated from Mass College of Pharmacy, but my mm-hmm. father never met my grandchildren, and he died when I was very young, so he wasn't there to walk any of the girls down the aisle. But, yeah, and my son always says to me, he goes, you know, I know I never met your father, but I think I'm him reincarnated. I said, <laughs> you know what, Greg, I bet you are. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's so awesome. Thank you so much for calling in and sharing Oh, you're welcome. That. And I'd love really to cool. stay on and listen. Yeah. That's okay. That's Great. okay. Nice to meet you. And, uh, and, uh, oh, another thing. I love no, your I accent. <laughs> you're in Biddeford, Maine? <laughs> yeah, I'm in Maine. Well, get this. Gregory first wanted to be a physician's assistant. Um, okay, we're going to put you on mute right now because we got to finish you with Derek. Eat. But thank you oh, so yeah. much. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, that was awesome. I can't believe that. That was hilarious. Um, that now was we're great. gonna go right. We're gonna go right into some strategies that you used in connecting uh, with Dylan. You know, you talked about threats of suicide and all the special interests that he has and the attempts to fit in in high school and all of these things um, that are so common with you know these kids, but. Talk to us about, you know, some of the strategies that you use to finally enter into his world instead of trying to pull him into yours or, you know, experiencing that frustration of the disconnect. Yeah, that that took some time uh, mm-hmm. to figure out how to do that. At first, we just did it naturally because he was our only child, so we didn't really think much about it. If he's our only kid and he was into vacuum cleaners that's what we were into so we would get up on saturday mornings and we would go to the breakfast and then we'd head over to the what was this place called called service merchandise here near the main mall and there was the only place the, the only far, uh, department store that you could actually plug in the vacuum cleaners so he loved going to service merchandise and we would go and spend hours sitting on the floor while Dylan would play with the vacuum cleaners. Uh, and then when he got older and he was in, into furnaces, we would go to open houses and pretend that we were interested in the house and then go in the basement so we could check out the furnace and uh, then quietly leave. So, you know, you do what you do whatever you have to. And I, I was at, we were, Dylan and I were at our uh, conference in Cleveland. It was like the second or third one we'd done. And somebody we had the, came to the Q&A and somebody said, my son is really into animation and I hate animation. How can I get him into something else? And uh, Dylan and I were like, e, yeah, good luck with that. Because <laughs> you can't, 
I tried. I tried to get him into baseball because I love baseball. And baseball is something a lot of kids with Asperger's love because it's full of stats and data. But he wasn't, you know, you can't force a special interest on them. They're either interested or they're not. And um, so we just, you know, if when he was into birds, we went and went to bird things and went to parks and looked at birds. And one night I was up till two in the morning catching saw-wet owls with him with the Audubon Society and tagging them. Uh-huh. You know, you, you do whatever you have to do. I actually met a woman in the course of my speaking tour who her son was into squid. And apparently you cannot buy an entire squid. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> so she would wake up, she would buy squid parts then stay up at night sewing the squid parts together so when her son got up in the morning he had a full squid that he could play with and do dissect and do whatever and Mm. i'm like wow that is i mean i've we've done a lot of things we've when dylan was into cars we spent every weekend at car dealerships but i don't think i'd i'm not sure i'd ever sew a squid together so that lady gets some kudos um but that's what you have to do. You have to figure out they're not coming to you. They, if they yeah. have a special interest, they're not. They don't. It, their brains don't work the way ours do. Where they're going to say, "I don't really like that," but to build a relationship, I'm going to go do something I don't really like to do. Yeah, it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. So, um, and and it's. That's the what you do, and, and that's how you build relationships with these kids. I remember when Dylan was in Florida, living in Florida, I went to visit him, and I got off the plane and in Miami, and I'm heading up to Deerfield Beach where he lived, and I see a billboard that says Chris Brown and T-Pain are coming, and I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. oh, man, i gotta go. I got to buy tickets for that. Like, I don't have a choice. He, I'm sitting there. I'm staring at this billboard as I'm driving down the highway, and I got on the phone and I bought tickets to go see Chris Brown and T-Pain and Tyga and Bow Wow. And I can tell you that I did not want to see any of those people. Uh, and we went and we went to see this concert and Dylan was really into African-American culture and the whole th- hip hop scene. And he yeah. went with his do-rag and his black Jesus necklace. And, <laughs> and I was the oldest and whitest person in the entire building. And we had a great time. And that's Aww. how you build relationships. Wow. And you know what? That's the case with all relationships. I think about how much disconnect there is just in, you know, a normal family. You know, once the kid gets all, you know, into the teenage years, it's just like separation happens. And I think it is that unwillingness of the parent to go into the kid's world. Why not go into the kid's world instead of trying to pull them back into yours? And I think that that's so very important. I have a 17 year old who's very much into hip hop, and you know, I remember, oh, there you know, you go. That yeah, and I was, and have, have you seen T Pain and Bow Wow? Absolutely. Well, I didn't make it to the concert, <laughs> but, um, you know, I would, I, I went into his world and I thought, you know, if I don't go where he is, there's just no way that there's going to be um, a beautiful relationship. Of course, that's what I want more than anything is a relationship with my kids, you know? And so exactly. that's what happens. That willingness to go where they are is, um, is everything. And that's just for all all families, you know, that's just wisdom. So I love that. I love that. So you and your wife had different battle strategies. Let's talk a little bit about that. You know, as women, we um, we're just wired differently. So talk about that. 
Yeah, I didn't even realize that until I wrote the book. And as I was writing the book, that kind of came to me. I looked back. So when Dylan was uh, younger, he would have meltdowns, but they were manageable because he was little. But then when he got to middle school, my wife is not a very big person, so he became bigger and stronger than my Mm. wife. And all of a sudden, go to your room was not going to work anymore. Right. So I would be at work, and I would get a call, and sometimes all I would hear is the two of them screaming at each other. And sometimes Amy would grab the phone just long enough to say, get home. And then Dylan would hang it up on her. And I would run out the door, and I lived about 20 minutes away. And luckily, I worked for myself, so I could leave whenever I wanted. And nobody ever asked. They just knew it was a, quote-unquote, Dylan issue. Mm-hmm. And I'd get home, and I'd pull in the driveway. While, as I'd pull in the driveway, I could hear, sometimes I could hear them screaming from inside the, from out, from the driveway. Mm-hmm. I would go inside. Now, if anybody's ever read Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, mm-hmm. you know in like the first chapter of the book, one of the things it talks about is how men try to fix things. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. We try to solve problems and fix things. And women sometimes don't want things fixed. They just want to be heard, right? That's right. a whole conflict. You know, a woman comes home from work and tells you about her day and how somebody at work drove her crazy and the guy gives her all kinds of suggestions. And she's like, I don't want your suggestions. I just want you to empathize with me. (laughs) And uh, so I would come in and I would try to fix it and solve the problem. And somewhere along that process during this crisis, I would cross a line. I would either say something or do something to Dylan physically. And I never beat the kid, but I would have to restrain him, and I will say that, thank God, he was never violent. He he never hurt Amy. He never physically hurt his mother, and he, yeah, he actually, we had done like 10 speaking engagements, some, and we I don't remember where we were, and he said to me, you need to tell people that I never hurt mom, because the way you describe it, it sounds like I hurt her, uh, mm. which I thought was very sweet. Yeah. And, um, but I would try to like control the situation. Well, in doing that, in doing that, I sometimes would cross a line and I didn't even know where that line was. I didn't even know there was a line, but I right. always knew when I crossed it because when I did, Amy would be on one side, I'd be on the other and Dylan would be somewhere, you know, chaos. And before that, Amy and I were on the same side. What I realized later as I wrote the book is that we had different battle strategies. So my battle strategy was, if you think of it from a military standpoint, was the theory that that you need to protect the unit, that that's the most important thing. Make sure you protect the unit. And so I was willing to, like the guy that falls in the grenade, to protect all his, all, all his you know, fellow soldiers. That's the way I looked at it, except this is kind of embarrassing, I was not willing to fall on the grenade. I was willing Mm -hmm. to let Dylan fall on the grenade. And I was willing to sacrifice Dylan to protect my marriage and my girls and my family as a whole. 
and I'm not proud of that, but that's what happened. Yeah. My wife, that. on the other hand, had a very different battle strategy. Her battle strategy was more of the military theory that you leave no man behind. So mm-hmm. if that ship was going right to the bottom of the ocean, she was going to hang on to that kid until it hit the bottom of the floor of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, those are very different battle strategies. Yeah. So they created a lot of conflict between us. And we had to figure out how we were going to, without knowing that we even had battle strategies, keep in mind, we had to figure out how we were going to survive this because we didn't want our marriage to fall apart. We had three girls. Um, we've been together since we were 15. And I can't imagine it not being with my wife at all. So the thought of that was just not even a, something I was willing to consider. So we had to think, okay, how are we going to get through this? So we did some things that I think were very effective to help us. Um, one thing is we made sure that we had time with the girls alone. So uh, I coached a lot of softball, and that gave me time to spend one-on-one with the girls, um, going to softball tournaments, coaching. I coached them in Little League and Middle School and All-Stars and travel and every chance I could. And that was all time that I got to spend with them and build that relationship. And on the other side, I would take Dylan skiing or play golf. And those are like whole day events, you know. Um, And that would give Amy a chance to take the girls to get their nails done and go to a Disney princess movie and all those kinds of things and build relationships with the girls. And that was, those were very important things that we did. And I, you know, we did them somewhat consciously and somewhat unconsciously. Mm. And the other thing that we did that I always like to tell people about is that we used to have a rule that if we had a date night, we were not allowed to talk about Dylan. So if we actually got a babysitter to watch four kids, which isn't always so easy, usually the grandparents, and we went to dinner and a movie, the rule was that we were not allowed to talk about Dylan. Because once we started talking about Dylan, that's all we would end up talking about. And we may as well, and all the motions of Dylan would come along with it. And at that point, you may as well just have Dylan on your date. And You know, this book is written from a dad's perspective, because that's who I am. And for those who probably know this already that are listening, but, you know, dads, when they get date night, you know, they're thinking dinner, movie, and and mm-hmm. I knew that the end of that evening was not going to end the way I wanted it to if we talked about Dylan all night. So yeah. uh, I was pretty firm on the no Dylan talk when we mm-hmm. had date nights. Mm-hmm. And... Maybe that's how we ended up with four kids. So, yeah. but um, it was—I uh, think it was really important to not let your marriage be consumed by your child, because mm-hmm. at some point you need to be able to enjoy each other's company. And if the only thing that you can fi- eventually—if you—if your life is consumed by your kid's disability, then the only thing that you have when at the end of the day is your kid's disability. If your kid moves out, like this awesome mom that called in earlier where her kid yeah. now is in pharmacy school and doing very well, and all of a sudden you turn to your husband and you realize you have nothing to talk about because for 20 years you've just been talking about your kid's disability. Yeah. So 
that's we my as wives, tip of the you day. Know, we need, I love that. I, it is so important. Like you stepped up into that place that a woman can't be in. You know, you really were um, protecting the unit. You kept that marriage together and you kept that family whole. And that's, that is a masculine energy that, that your wife doesn't have. And it was mama bear that was able to protect her, her boy. So I, I love that. Kudos to you. Bravo, bravo. (laughs) We need men. You know, I think as women, we need to know that we are worthy of that pursuit and men need to know that they have what it takes. And I think that you have proven that Um, you've really lived that out. So thank you for being with us today. Such an awesome story. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. uh, So my book is called Chasing the Rabbit. And yeah. uh, Dylan, Dylan's book that just that I mentioned that just came out is called Bad Choices Make Good Stories, and Perfect. you can get both of them on Amazon, of course. Uh, you can also go to Volk V O L K Books Volkbooks dot com, and you can which will take you to Dylan's website. Um, okay. And from there, you can actually buy both books and save some money because they're $20 each or you can buy both for $30. And I will even give a discount if you call in using uh, Volk, V-O-L-K 21, the number 21, I will get, uh, you'll get an extra $5 off if you buy the book through VolkBooks.com. Awesome. Awesome. So you can buy both books for $25. So good. So good. And your company is hiring Autism, um, you're, you're, is that part of your work too? Is autism employment? Do you want to talk a little bit about that real quick before we go? I just think that's sure. Sure. So I own a corrugated box company in Biddeford, Maine called Volk Packaging okay. Corporation. We're third generation. We've been in business 52 years coming in a couple weeks. And we, uh, I don't go and seek people with autism, but I okay. also don't turn people away because of their disability. We have a woman who's deaf uh, for a long time. Uh, just re- he just retired. We had a gentleman who was bl- legally blind. And uh, we have at least two or three people on the autism spectrum. And, yeah, we have to make some accommodations, and we have to be a little more patient when certain parts of their work employment. Um, but they're terrific workers. They do a great job. One of the things that drives me crazy uh, as, a, as an employer is, and I wrote this at the beginning of, the bu- of my book, Chasing the Rabbit, I say, I'm going to use the word disabled, and I'm yeah. sorry if that, def- if that offends somebody, but Dylan is disabled. He is less able to do daily normal functions of life than other people. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make him differently abled, and I think by so many years we tried to be so politically correct by saying that people were differently abled, mm-hmm. that we did them, in, in the end, we did these people a disservice because then what happens is they go into the workforce and you, you go to an employer like me and somebody says, well, hire this person with autism. And they're, oh, they're differently abled. Oh, okay. And then you find out that you have to make some accommodations and you say, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean I have to make accommodations? I thought you just said that they were differently abled. Well, mm-hmm. they are, but they can't do this and they can't do this and they need a little extra help with this. Well, that you can't have it both ways. You know, it's, we've set these people up for failure. Yeah. They're, they're, there's nothing in, in, in 
nothing insulting about saying that someone is disabled. Some people are less able. If you have a, if you're in a wheelchair, you're probably not going to, you know, be in the in the Olympic basketball team. That doesn't mm-hmm. make you a bad person. It doesn't. It's not an insult to you. I'm not going to be on the Olympic basketball team either. Yeah. I, I got cut from my seventh grade basketball team. So, <laughs> you know, I mean. Yeah, everybody has everybody has something that they're dealing with, um, mm-hmm. but some people have more than others. And you know, in in the book, I you know the the I describe the name of the book as chasing the rabbit because Dylan is chasing normal, and some people get upset. Oh, you're calling your kid not normal. My kid is not normal. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a great video. Dylan talks about it when we speak. He says, look. When you're seven or eight and your goal is in life is to score the winning soccer goal for your soccer team, that's normal. When mm-hmm. you're eight and you're trying to memorize the wingspans of every single kind of bird, that's not normal. Mm-hmm. And so there, Dylan actually finds it insulting when people say that there's no such thing as normal because it actually devalues the struggles that he goes through on a day-to-day yeah. basis. If you say, well, we're all not normal. Dylan's like, yeah, you think so? Why don't you, you know, why don't you try being me for a day and see how you like it? Yeah. So. Oh, it's so important, this conversation. And I just love it that you're just real and honest. And, and Dylan's out there speaking. I mean, you look at all of the amazing talent and incredible abilities that some of these uh, people are are living out, and of course, that's evidence that this doesn't need to stop them in life. But yeah, the struggle is very, very real, and it needs to be talked about. So awesome, so cool. Thank so you. Awesome. Yeah, Dylan is. We're scheduled to go to Savannah, Florida, Missouri, Oklahoma. Dylan is an absolute rock star. He gets up on that stage and he has people mesmerized from the first couple minutes because he has all the same feelings and emotions and experiences as other people with autism, but mm. he has, he's incredibly introspective and he has the ability to explain how his brain works and why he, how he thinks the way he thinks. I mean, I was telling somebody wow. he was uh, he was on the on the radio last week on a on a show and he was telling somebody how he he thinks logically from logic and history he says I don't have an intuition so he was talking about how he ended up addicted to meth and it was because he had done some other drugs he did them and then the next day he was fine so he thought okay logic says I did those other drugs and I was fine the next day meth why would meth be any different and then all of a sudden he did meth and he couldn't stop doing it so it's uh it's an incredible book bad choices make good stories awesome at volkbooks.com volkbooks.com volk 21 and you will get a discount five dollars off so good all right, Derek, folks, thank you again for being on the show. And you guys reach out to him and get these books and look for his speaking engagements. You're all across the country um, speaking. Is, do you go under your names, Derek and Dylan Volk, or will it be Chasing the Rabbit if they want to find your um, schedule? Um, you can go right to Chasing the Rabbit. You can follow us on Facebook at Chasing okay. the Rabbit Book on okay. Facebook. And um, if Okay, I always warn people about this. So if you have a good sense of humor and you're not easily offended, then go check out, if you want to really get inside Dylan's brain, 
go to Real Dylon, R-E-A-L-D-I-E-L-A-W-N, Real Dylon. That's his daily vlog where he does a video every day, usually while he's driving, and he tells you pretty much whatever he's thinking. And uh, But if you don't have a sense of humor and you are easily offended, I would avoid real Dylon at all costs. Okay. I love that he called himself <laughs> Dylon. He wants his name to be Dylon. Spell it again, D-I-E-L. L-A-W-N, real Dylon. That was his nickname Dylon. in high school, and it kind of stuck. Oh, my God. Yeah. So good. At one point, he actually legally right. changed his name to Dylon, but I made him change it back. <laughs> So good. And that is on YouTube, you said, or Facebook? Yeah, YouTube. He's Real Dylon everywhere. Real Dylon on YouTube, oh, Real Dylon on Twitter, Real Dylon on okay. Facebook. Okay. <laughs> All right, Derek. We have kept awesome. Thank you again. You're amazing. And listeners, don't forget to be the change that you're hoping to see in the world and reach out to stacyc.com for coaching if you are ready to live a higher, deeper, further um, just extraordinary life of authentic contribution. Reach out to me and we will see you next time. Merry Christmas um, on the Changebook Radio Show. Bye for now.